All these books have their different styles, but Proverbs style is just practical wisdom. It's this practical guide to becoming a wise child of God. And so that's, that's our style. That's, that's our vibe right now is just practical wisdom. So when I find myself like crafting these sermons and they feel more practical because that's what the, the text calls for. And so I, I'm, I'm really encouraged, though, to have a season of teaching and ministry like that. So we're, we're in chapter 4, and the first couple of paragraphs we're going to work through kind of quickly because as you're reading through it, you'll see a lot of what we've already seen. And so I'm kind of using the first two paragraphs in, in Proverbs chapter 4 as like a review because it, we're, we're reading things that he's already said. And then the last paragraph has four, four points of discussion that I want to spend the bulk of our time on. But in these first nine verses in this first paragraph, I want you to look for three things that we've already talked about. One is the context. Context, context, context. That matters so much when you're reading any book of the Bible, right? If you take things out of context, you will not understand them in the way they're supposed to be understood. And so the context of Proverbs is a, is a father sitting down his son in an effort to transfer his wisdom to his son. This father is, is King Solomon, and he's sitting down his son to, to make sure that he is open to receiving his wisdom. Look for that in the first nine verses. Also look for this, uh, that he, he personifies his wisdom. And so when Solomon talks about his wisdom and, and, and talks to his son about receiving this wisdom, he talks about wisdom as if wisdom is a person. It's, a, it's, a, it's like it's this woman to be pursued and desired. And so look for that in these nine verses. And then the third thing is that he's trying to convince his son that receiving this is in his best interest. You're, you're going to want a lot of different things, but you, you really want this. I'm speaking from experience here, son. You want to receive this wisdom. It is in your best interest. You should want this more than any of us because you're going to benefit from this wisdom personally. All right, so look for those, first, look for those three aspects in these first nine verses. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And so Solomon wants to pass on this legacy of wisdom. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. He's like, I remember when I was a son and my father tried to sit me down and, and transfer his wisdom to me. His dad's kind of a big deal, King David. We've all heard of him. He said, he taught me, keep my commandments. Like, I, I keep coming back to this, like, just as a, just as a dad. This is what keeps coming to the, to the forefront of my mind. Every sermon that I craft, I just, I, I feel God just like prodding me and using this text to, to kind of nudge me in this direction. Leave a legacy of wisdom to your kids. 
Like I just keep, I keep feeling that over and over that like God just using this book of the Bible to make me think you, you want to leave a legacy to your kids. Make sure you leave the right one. Like we pass all sorts of things on to our kids, right? Maybe our mannerisms, our personality, in addition to our, our stuff and things. Snot out of this thing. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm a wrecking ball. I'm a disaster today. Man, I hope you can still love me as a pastor on my off day. This is it right here, evidently. <laughs> so, as I was saying, it's, it's prodded me to, to consider, like, what kind of legacy am I leaving to my kids? I mean, they watch everything that you say. They watch everything that you do. You know, you, you, you teach them uh, just in the ways that they observe what's going on in your life. And, and we tend to, to replicate what our parents did before us, like, of all the legacy, uh, legacies that you leave, make sure you leave the legacy of faith. Like, that's, that's what I want to pass on more than anything else. And so Solomon's like, hey, you know, my dad wasn't perfect. And we all know that. Like, imagine being like King David, like every one of your mistakes is recorded in, in a book that people get to read for the rest of time. Like, we're hard on him, but like, when no one's wrote that book about us, and it's not on the bestseller list. So let's take it easy on King David. But, but Solomon's like, hey, you know, my dad wasn't perfect, but he sat, sat me down when I was just a little tender. I like that word tender. When I, when I was just a little guy. And he made sure that he transferred the most valuable thing that he had to ever offer me. More valuable than his kingdom, more valuable than his gold, and more valuable than his victories and his life and his popularity. He passed on a legacy of faith. And I think that, that really just keeps coming to the forefront of my mind as I read through through that. And if you like verse 7 when it says, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. I just imagine like Solomon grabbing his kid by his chubby little cheeks. You want this wisdom and insight. I love that. I love that verse. Uh, but again, like I want my children to hear that message, right? You know, you're getting money and stuff and all the things that this, this world has to offer, none of those things are inherently bad. Like your athletic accomplishments are fine, but, but none of that, it, it, all, it all just pales in comparison to what we have in godly wisdom and faith in God. So when it comes to wisdom and insight, that's what you want to prize. That's what you want to prize. Prize her highly, he says there. And why? Well, he's already made that point very clear in Proverbs up to this point. Because this causes peace in your life. That's something money can't do. Money can't buy peace. Stuff can't give you peace. Like everything this world has to offer you with regard to peace, it's all just decaying and temporary. But this is lasting peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. That's why I want my children to have that more than any other thing, because they will never have lasting peace apart from the gospel. And so paragraph one reviews all of those things. Paragraph two is another review. We've seen up to this point that there are, he wants to keep putting his son at the fork in the road. He, wants, he doesn't want him to be indifferent when it, when it comes to the wisdom of God. He wants him to make a choice. He wants him to be decisive on the matter of godly wisdom. And so he keeps saying, hey, there's a good way and there's a bad way. Like, you, you, you got to make that choice. I'm telling you, you want to go this way. You don't want to go that way. Let's read this paragraph, and we'll see that uh, in verses 10 through 19. He says, Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. 
I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone else stumble. For they eat the bread of, the, uh, bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like a deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So he's saying, hey, the path of, of uprightness. Remember, the fear of the Lord is holiness. The path of uprightness is obedience to God. And when you live according to God's design, you're going to experience life in more abundance because you are living the way you were intended to live. And so it is the most fulfilling, the most rewarding life possible because it's according to God's design. And so he says your step will not be hampered. You will not, be, you will not stumble. That, is, that doesn't mean that life is going to be perfect. That's already been established in, in Proverbs, he's just saying the most fulfilling way to live is, is the path that leads to peace, because peace is what brings fulfillment. Uh, uh, and rejecting God's wisdom, that's the path of the wicked. Do not enter it, says. Everyone stumbles there, and they cause each other to stumble. Right? The path of upright is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. You can see where you're going. You know, at least, at least when you stumble in the light, you know what happened, right? <laughs> when you trip and fall, it's just because you're clumsy, right? Everything makes perfect sense, at least, whenever you trip in the light. You know what happened. But when you're walking through your house in the dark and you stump your toe, you don't know what happened. You don't know what you hit until you flip the lights on and see, oh, I, I stepped on that Lego. That's what caused me all that pain, right? He's saying, like, the, the, the way of holiness, it, it's, you, you, you get to avoid those obstacles. You get to avoid pitfalls when you live in the wisdom of God. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. They don't know what happens. Uh, they don't know why it is that way. So live in the light. That's the, that's the review here. Live in the light. That's what Solomon wants for his son. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to live in the light. So now think about this. If you live in the light, you are pursuing the wisdom of God. What ensures that you're going to stay there? What ensures, let's say you do pick the right path. What ensures that you stay on that path? How do you know you're going to keep going in the right direction? Well, there's a big answer to that, and there's a practical answer to that. You know, as I'm, as I'm starting to think about the answer to that question, my mind goes to all these different passages. And, and I thought about even teaching through Titus chapter 3 and, and talking about the work of the Holy Spirit and regeneration. I mean, we know ultimately, right? Ultimately, we are on the path of holiness because God puts us there and God sustains us there and keeps us there all the way through to the end. He gets all the credit for our salvation start to finish. He gets all the credit all the time. Ultimately, that is the answer. And there are all sorts of passages of Scripture that we could go to to talk through that. But that doesn't negate the human responsibilities that we have. We have a responsibility as a child of God to stay on that path and to do what we can to go in the right direction. And so I feel like that's what this last paragraph helps us think about. Remember, 
I could go into this heavy doctrinal answer, but that's not the style in Proverbs. The style of Proverbs is a practical guide to wisdom. So I want to preach like that. Let's stay practical, practical today. And, and then, and then the, the last paragraph there, the third paragraph, verses 20 through 27, I want you to look for four practical points of instruction as I read through this that I want to touch on as we close out this chapter. Look for the four things, see if you can identify four things he says to do in order to stay on the right path. He says, my son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and, gaze, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. You could probably order or argue uh, a few more points of teaching, but here's the four things I want us to think about. I want us to think about our hearts. I want us to think about our mouth, our eyes, and our feet. Heart, mouth, eyes, and feet. Four aspects of staying on the path. The first one is super Super important when it comes to staying on the right path. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Watch your heart. That is probably the most important practical piece of advice in this entire chapter. Make sure you watch your heart. Now, he's not talking about physically like looking at your heart when you're walking around. When we talk about your heart, in Scripture, it's the, it's the inner person. It's, it's, it's your center. It's who you are, right? We might say it in those terms. It's the inner you. And so we also know, though, from Scripture that our heart is broken. We're corrupted. We were born under the curse of sin. And so we fight urges and desires and inclinations that come from our heart, right? It's in there. I mean, we learn this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah famously says in 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? He just, he's so frustrated in that moment, and we so connect with that. Like those, just the, just the evil that goes on inside, right? It's, it's there, and you all know it's there. Solomon's saying, be aware of it. And he says, why? From it flow the springs of life. Now, if you're reading the King James Version, this is one of those times in which I prefer King James uh, translation. It actually says the issues of life. And I think that gets to the, that's a better translation when you look into the meanings of these words. What he's trying to say is, from the heart flow the, the issues of life. All of the issues you have in your life, when you got problems in your life and you want to see the, the source of the problem, look here. Right? If you have a, a sinful tendency in your life, like that came from, out, from inside of you. It's in there. It came out. And so check your heart first if you've got a problem. If you've got a sin problem in your, in your life, check your heart. That's how Jesus teaches it. Look in, in uh, I'll just read it to you in Mark chapter 7. Uh, it says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. 
This is Jesus speaking. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So if you've got issues in your life, look at your heart. Here's the way I would put it. If I was sitting my kids down right now and talking to them, they're here, by the way. I'm pretending like they're not here. <laughs> I would say to them, like, uh, be careful, guard your heart in this sense. Be careful what you, let, what you set your heart on. Be careful what you uh, allow your affections to, to settle on. You, can, you, you make that decision, right? Like there are, there are tons of things in this world that will woo you. There are a ton of things in this world that you will be drawn to. You don't know why. Your heart is just drawn to it. There are certain people in this world that you will be drawn to. But not all of the people and not all of those things that you are drawn to are good for you. Not all of those things that you would enjoy are things that you should engage in. So make sure you guard your heart. Don't trust your heart. Don't trust yourself. Here's what I mean by that. Like, we, we all battle this in this sense. Like, living with godly wisdom means that you can identify what your heart is drawn to in a way that you can, you, you can deny yourself. Oh, man, I, 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 I'm acknowledging that I am drawn to this, but that's not good, so I'm going to deny myself. That's the, that's the Christian uh, way of life that lives wisely. And so, for example, like, when you choose not to gossip and slander someone that you work with, it's not because you don't want to. Right? When, when you're talking about someone that's just a flat-out jerk and you want to gossip and slander and throw them under the bus and you think, that that's, you think that's justified, you want to do that because you don't like them, but you choose not to, right? You deny yourself that pleasure. That's, that's living with godly wisdom. And so when you, when you choose not to, to view something that would spark lust in your mind, it's not, you're not... You're not denying yourself because you don't want to look at that. You're denying yourself because you do want to look at that, but you know that that's not holy, and so it's not good for you. So you make the choice of wisdom, and you deny yourself that pleasure. Whenever there's a toxic environment in your life, sometimes we love toxic environments. We thrive in toxic environments. But living with wisdom is, is, able, is when we're able to identify that is not a good place to exist. And so I'm going to deny myself, and I want to I back out of there. That's, that's guarding the affections of your heart. So everything that you are drawn to isn't necessarily good. So make sure you don't trust yourself every single time. You question yourself every single time. That's living with, wisdoms, with wisdom. And so... At, at those choices, like from your heart, that, those cause the, that's, the, that's the spring of life. Those, those are the issues of life that shape your life. And so if you don't guard your affections, your, your life may become deformed in many ways, ways that it was not intended to be, but you didn't guard your affections. And so you find yourself in this awful situation. So guard yourself because your decisions and what you allow yourself to, be, to, to desire, what you allow yourself to engage in, that will shape your life. So be vigilant when it comes to your heart. Here's the second thing he says. You're, this is about your mouth. 
Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. I don't know about you. My mouth has gotten me in a lot of trouble over the years. Am I the only one? No? Everybody? Pretty much everybody? Your mouth? What has gotten you in more trouble than your mouth? Probably nothing, right? How many times have you said something and you immediately regret what you said? Like when you're like arguing with your, with your spouse and it, it comes out before you catch it and you're like, oh, I still shouldn't have said that. Right? We've all, everyone's been there, right? It's, it's too often that our filter doesn't work quick enough and we don't catch everything. And so, or just our desire to say something awful just overpowers our desire to please God. That's, that's just the blunt truth of it all. But your mouth is a dangerous, dangerous thing. It can tear down. It can cause so much destruction. There, there's a couple places in, in uh, Psalm 140 and in, in Romans 13. That it's because it's Romans 13 is, is quoting Psalm 140. Um, Paul is using that quotation there to talk about uh, the, the evil things that come out of our mouth. And he talks about it like venom spewing out of a snake. It has that effect. Our mouths can have that effect on others in this world. It can be like poison in our lives and in other people's lives. You can wreck other people's lives. You can wreck your entire life just by what you say. So Solomon's like, you want to live with wisdom? You better watch what you say. Be very careful as to the words that come out of your mouth. James 3 is the most popular place to go to, right? When we think of taming the tongue, we think of James 3 and all of the warnings that are there and all of the great illustrations that are there. And, the, and two things that he says there that, that always stood out to me is when he said, he, he says, like, like, what you say, that can stain your entire life. It can stain who you are, the whole body. It can change the entire course of your life if you don't watch what you say. And so I might say it this way to my boys. You better watch what you say. You know, people, people, that, people that walk around in this world and say, I don't care what people think, I'm just going to say it like it is. Those are fools, according to the Bible. I'm just going to say how it is. I'm just going to be blunt and crass, tell people the truth, don't take their feelings into consideration. I'm just going just to call it like it is. People, people take that posture, and that posture is appealing. I'm not going to lie. But people who act like that are fools. A wise person is very careful with what they say. They're very careful with who they say it to. What they say around certain people. Taking their feelings into consideration. Not wanting to poison your own life and other people's lives around you. Be careful with what you say. Here's the third practical aspect of this third paragraph. It says, uh, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Right? Our eyes are the, the window to our brain, right? What we allow in those gates is going to affect how we think and what we, what we do. So how many times in Scripture did this crazy, awful sin start with what someone was looking at? It's like time and time again, right? Right, right from the beginning. We see that Eve was in the garden and she saw the forbidden fruit. And she lingered there for a little bit. She looked at that and it began to think in her, in her heart and her mind, what, what, should I, what should I do here? It started with her just looking at that and she knew it was forbidden. How about Samson looking at Delilah? That turned out really bad, right? Like it turned out so bad he couldn't see anything by the end. How about Achan 
and the treasure that God said, don't, don't take that treasure. And Achan goes in there and he sees the treasure and he starts thinking, maybe I want that. Of course, King Solomon's dad, King David, was on the roof and he looked down and Bathsheba was, was bathing and she was nude and he just lingered there and saw so much of our sin starts with what we see, what we allow into our brains. I mean, you ever notice when you're driving and someone points out something to the right, you look to the right, you start veering to the right. You look at someone at the left window, someone points something out there, you veer to the left. Where, wherever we look, right, it's, it's where we tend, to, we tend to gravitate towards what we look at all the time. And so that's why this passage is so good. Like, stay looking forward. Pay attention to where you're going. Don't look at the wrong things. You know, my least favorite feature on my iPhone, it's every Sunday morning, it gives you that stupid screen time report. You guys got that on your phone? Your screen time was up 20% this week, Cody. I'm like, well, you're stupid. <laughs> and this makes me feel bad. I won't make you feel bad. I hate that thing. And so now, it, but it, it really does affect me like, oh man, I was up 20%. What was I doing looking at my phone that much? Like, I got to get that percentage down. I've come this close to just a just annihilating that aspect of my phone. But then there's this little voice like, oh, keep that there. Oh, it's good to know. When you're extra stupid and you've been looking on your phone too much, it's good to be reminded. Put your phone down. But I'm at, I, what, would it, what would happen if collectively we put our screen time together and added it up? What would that number even be in this room? It would be embarrassing. <laughs> That's what it would be, right? It would be embarrassing. We, we take in way too much screen time. And how, what percentage of that screen time is unholy? Ugh. Really think about that. How much of that screen time is just, you know, unholy banter or, or just filth? Don't underestimate how much that stuff actually shapes how you think. You know, you got the people that, oh, I, can, I, I like this music. I don't listen to the lyrics. It doesn't affect me. <laughs> That's dumb. I watch these shows and I take this in and it didn't affect who I am. It's just entertainment. <laughs> we all know that's stupid. We make those arguments, but that's the dumbest argument you could possibly ever make. That is ridiculous. The stuff that you take in shapes your life. It affects your heart, right? It affects how you think. So you have to be careful what you take in, right? Keep your eyes directly forward. <laughs> One funny thing that Emmett does whenever we're watching a movie, anytime like there's a scene where the couple are kissing, Still to this day, he's 12. He's still to this day, he's like, inappropriate. <laughs> Put a blanket over his head, inappropriate. <laughs> we always get a chuckle out of that. He literally just did it again this weekend. And, but, you know, there's a part of us, there should be a part of us that's like that that should never die. Because we can identify it when we see it, right? What's unholy, what's filthy, you know it when you see it, right? There should always be a sense in which if we want to be, live with wisdom, we're able to deny ourselves, not because we wouldn't enjoy it, right? It's because we would. There are shows I intentionally don't watch because I would enjoy the filth. There are shows that I have watched that I did enjoy the dark humor, and it was so dark. So I deny myself those things, not because I wouldn't like it. I'm human, just like you are. I deny myself those things when I'm, when I'm living with wisdom. 
Just be careful what you take in. It's the same thing for your feet. He says, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Ponder the path of your feet. That is something that young people don't do. For those of us that have been teenagers before, right, you know that, like, the last thing on your mind is how your decisions are going to impact your future. <laughs> like, that's, that's just crazy talk. I'll be an adult later. You think that the decisions you're making won't affect the trajectory of your life. But when you get older, we live with all this regret, right? We're like, oh, man, if I just wouldn't have done this or if I would have done that, things could be so much different now. I wasn't thinking 10 years down the road. And so it's not until you're older that you start thinking 10 years down the road. And so if you can do this, if you can ponder the path of your feet as a young student, you can do something that almost nobody else can do. Think about how your decisions right now will affect your future. I mean, so, so my mom, uh, her job, it, she actually she got involved in a ministry that helps meth addicts, recovering meth addicts. It's called LAM, Life After Meth. And so she started to engage in this ministry after she came back off the mission field in Honduras. And it turned into a job. It turned into a part-time job, then turned into a full-time job. And the, the county of uh, where we're from so appreciated the ministry because the people that were going through this program weren't returning to jail that they started, the county funds it, right? They, just start, they raise support for it and things like that. And so I, I've, I, get, I get the opportunity from time to time when I'm visiting home to go to the jail and, and, and get to, to hang out with all of the recovering meth addicts with my mom. And so sometimes when I'm going home, uh, we're, we're hanging out at my mom's house and there'll be like recovering meth addicts everywhere <laughs> because that's, that's who she lives with. That's a, those are, they, they become literally like her family and, and she just spends time with them and creates accountability and shares the gospel with them. But their stories, though in a sense unique, they're all exactly the same. They all can look back five years or ten years into their past and, and, and see just this one moment in which they just made this little tweak in their decision-making. They just made this one, one bad choice. They just started slowly going down that different path. And that little adjustment has them so far away from where they thought they would be. Nobody wakes up in jail with scabs on their face and thinks, this is where I plan to be. I'm glad I finally made it. No, everybody wakes up there and thinks, oh, man. It's a series of bad choices that got them to that point. So Solomon is teaching his son this, this valuable lesson. Like these, these little side roads and off-ramps of unholiness that you think won't ultimately affect your life. Just those little things can have a great impact on your life. So listen, if you want to live with wisdom, always be pondering the path of your feet. Always be willing to question yourself again and think, what am I doing right now, and where is this sending me? Where will this place me a year down the road, five years down the road, ten years down the road? What direction am I truly headed? What's the end result here? If you can do those things, when you're young, you can do something unique. So keep your heart in check. Choose your words carefully. Focus your eyes on the right things. Double check the direction you're headed. All of it amounts to avoiding sin. Remember, that's what wisdom ultimately is. 
That's what wisdom ultimately is. It's fearing the Lord. It's, it's holiness, fearing his standard for righteousness. We want to fear the Lord. That is the beginning of wisdom. And so Solomon's message to his son is like, hey, you're living in a world that tries to normalize sin. You're living in a world that wants to get you to embrace sin, wants to lure you into sin, wants to lull you into sin, you know, draw you there. If you want to live with wisdom, you got to, you got to be able to say no. you got to identify the wrong way and then don't go that way. That way leads to wisdom. What, what is temporary pleasure in so many different ways, it leads to ultimate disaster. When you can deny yourself, you're living with wisdom. And it leads to eternal life. Now, ultimately, we know wisdom is a person. As we keep coming back to every week, it's Jesus. Ultimately, we know that it is through the gospel of Jesus that I am on the right path. It's the gospel of Jesus that sustains me here. It's the gospel of Jesus that ensures I will have eternal life with him forever. And so we keep our hearts desiring him, his gospel. We keep our eyes looking at the gospel, our ears hearing it. We keep making sure that we're walking towards it. We're taking it in. That's how we stay on the right path. It's Jesus, our Savior. And so we pursue this life from a vantage point of victory. He has won for us. We are acceptable to God because of him. We will be sustained because of him. And as we know that truth and listen to that truth and look at that truth and walk towards that truth, he sustains us and brings us to, to eternal life free from sin. That's what Christian wisdom is. And so let's celebrate the definition of wisdom by taking communion, taking the bread to remember it's his life that I have faith in. His righteousness is what I hope in. So when I stand before God, I'm not hoping that I stayed on the path well enough in the sense that I did enough or worked enough good in my life. No, I'm acceptable to God because of the righteousness of Christ. So I take the juice to remember the bloodshed. My sins have been atoned for. So my debt has been paid. That is what keeps us on the right path. So let's stay on the right path by remembering, remembering the gospel through communion. We'll stand and we'll sing, and then I'll read scripture to us, and we'll take it together simultaneously. So I'll remind you that these are back on the table there. If you need some, uh, send a family member and the wafers on the top and the uh, there's two lids there. The second lid will get you to the juice. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that we get to study the book of Proverbs from the vantage point of the gospel. Uh, Lord, uh, we're so grateful to be able to consider what living with godly wisdom looks like. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us this week would uh, take this teaching to heart, that our affection would be on your word and that we would desire the truth that you've given us in your word. Lord, that we would deny ourselves the, th the other things that we want that are no good for us and that have no value in your kingdom. Lord, I pray for our eyes. I pray for our feet, our mouths, what we say. Lord, help us to speak holiness and, and look at holiness and walk towards holiness all to your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.